All right. Well, I'm going to kick off a brand new series that will carry us all the way through Christmas. Um, We've done these for several years where Vineyard USA actually produces sort of the starter of a series. And so many vineyard churches all over the country uh, will look a little different in each church, but are basically following a similar theme. And this year's is called Receive the Blessing, Experiencing Christ's Love at Christmas. I'm excited to give you just a basic introduction to the series, and then we're going to jump into today's talk, um, which we'll get to in a minute. But just to start off, Advent, if you're not familiar, uh, is a tradition in the church calendar, but the word Advent simply means the coming of Christ, or you could say the arrival. As we uh, think uh, back to those that were longing for a Messiah to come, now we know for us now we're looking back towards that event. But for many, as we just sang, come thou long expected Jesus, for uh, God's people of that time, they were it was foretold. They were longing for a Messiah to come, to show up, and to be their king. And so what we celebrate this time of year leading up to Christmas is remembering that, that longing, and what transpired in the coming of Christ. And we know that he's coming again, but specific to his first coming, we're going to explore some of what is wrapped up in what happens when Christ came, because again, we're looking back, and uh, that's what Advent is all about. It's more than just uh, sort of the prequel to Jesus' birthday or something like that, but it's actually going back and remembering what it was that we longed for. And we still have longings today, right? Like we're longing for Jesus to keep setting things to right. As Antonio just alluded in his prayer that there is suffering and war and famine and disease. There are still many things that are not yet right. And so we still have longings. We're longing for Jesus to come again and and consummate the fullness of the kingdom. But this morning, let's focus on what is wrapped up in the coming of Christ this Christmas season. And over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to explore several different things, which I'm just going to just lightly touch on just to paint a picture of where we're going. And the first is that at the coming of Christ is the arrival of love. We like to say love is a person, and his name is Jesus. And so one of the themes that we'll be exploring in our time today and in the coming weeks is that love has come to find you right where you are. See, when Jesus came, when the arrival of the Christ happened, as we will read in the Christmas story, He came to where we are. He took on the form of a man. He came down to the earth to be with us as people, to identify with our experience and to encounter you right where you are without the need for you to uh, have some list of things that you need to do to get to him. He came to where you are. Jesus also embraces you, as we'll learn as we explore these stories. Jesus embraces you at the core of your identity. See, he didn't just come as sort of a visitation just to change things externally, but he came as part 
of his compassionate heart for humanity to embrace you at the very core of your identity so that it would become possible that you could have the type of intimate relationship with him as father, as God, as Lord, that we now have the privilege of experiencing. And if you know, if you have made that decision to follow Christ and you've been walking with him and developing that relationship, it really changes everything. It becomes who you are. Jesus is not just a program that we add on to our life like a, like a bonus add-on. He is everything. He changes who we're able to become, who we're able to be, because he actually gives us his identity, and he embraces us at that level. We'll also be looking at how Jesus is the love of God expressed to us at Christmas. That, that the actual coming of the person of Jesus Christ is an outworking or an expression of God's love for his people, which is you and me. Now, I want to stop and, and define term real quick too, because this series being entitled Receive the Blessing, and that could sound kind of... I don't know, self, self-centered or, or greedy, but we need to understand what blessing means because blessing in our culture can often mean, you know, I got a bonus at work. I, you know, I got some tangible uh, blessing. And I'm not saying those things can't be blessings, but the essence of blessing is a real tangible expression of all the characteristics of love. And as we've just defined love as the person of Jesus Christ, he is the real blessing. The love that we experience in a relationship with Jesus far outweighs any sort of monetary or material blessing. The essence of it is love. And so what we're going to explore as we go through this series is what are some of the hindrances to us receiving love? How many of you, I have been like this, I won't even say that I've fully grown out of it, but how many of you have trouble receiving a compliment? It just makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? And it, you, you, it may be given to you with all genuineness and sincerity, but you're just a little uncomfortable with it. You don't quite know what to say. Do I now have to return the compliment just out of obligation? Do I agree with it? No, that maybe that's too uh, self-aggrandized. You know, it's just like, for some of us, we just don't know what to do with that. How many of you have trouble, I'm not, don't, you don't need to identify yourselves. So this is rhetorical, right? How many of you have trouble receiving gifts in the same way? You, maybe you love to give, but somebody gives you something and you suddenly feel this obligation or this social contract that oh well i've got to i've got to return the favor i need to give in in a commensurate level and, and you know and maybe that brings on a level of anxiety you know what well, now i've got to now i've got this on my list or i've got to figure this out or or maybe you suddenly feel like oh i maybe i should have already gotten it maybe i should have i should have foreseen this and now here i am with egg on my face because they've shown kindness to me many of these things are what I would sort of describe as, as blocks or hindrances to being able to receive. And I hope what we'll explore as we go through this series is allowing Jesus 
to come into those places and maybe adjust our focus, maybe heal an area that's broken and, and help us move towards being able to receive love freely. Receive freely from Jesus. And one of the last things that I want to mention as we sort of set this series up is that what we will find that if Jesus is love and that is true blessing, he would also tell us that all that he is is yours. And I hope as we go through these next several weeks and as we come up to Christmas, we will actually have that experience of knowing that everything that he is, is ours. The coming of Jesus doesn't just represent a point in history or the gift solely of salvation, although it does include that because that's part of the plan, but it includes him actually giving us everything, sort of opening up. The, the floodgates of heaven and bringing us himself and all that he is. Let's pray before we jump into today's message. Jesus, we just welcome you. Even now, Jesus, would you come and, and meet with us? We have recognized your presence here amongst us this morning, and we just want to bless you. We want to honor you. And we give you permission, Lord, to come and change us, to nudge us in whatever direction you want to go, Lord, but would you help us be able to open ourselves up to receive what you have for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are going to focus on receiving the blessing of living water. And that phrase, living water, is a representation of one of the ways that Jesus is described. And we'll, we'll dig into this. If you want to follow along with me uh, on your Bible or a Bible device, this will also be on the screen. But we're going to go to John chapter 4. I'm going to do verses 6 through 10 here in just a moment. Um, let me go ahead and flip this open here. John chapter 4. We're going to actually start reading uh, in verse 6, but I just want to sort of summarize, you know, the few verses preceding this, it's a familiar story. Jesus encounters the woman at the well, and, and I'm not going to retell that story, but basically in order for Jesus to get where he had to go, he had to pass through Samaria, and if you know the cultural context of the time, that would not have been a friendly place for him to pass through. The, these cultures were not friendly to each other. But in the midst of this journey, this is where we pick up in verse 6, Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down by the well, and it was noon. And it says in verse 7, A woman, or a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. And the Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Does that spell that, you know, that, that conflict that we were talking about? They, they did not get along. And they were actually sort of ingrained in their culture 
that you know that we don't mix it's like oil and water and so even for jesus to ask the question was almost scandalous and she recognizes that she recognizes uh that it's very unusual for him to ask this question and in verse 10 jesus answered if you knew the generosity of god and who i am you would be asking me for a drink and i would give you fresh living water now i'd encourage you to go and read the rest of the story but we're going to pause there for this morning and focus on this phrase of living water jesus when he comes takes on the form of a human he is bringing us spiritual living water we know that he says, if you drink of the water that I give, you won't thirst again. It's like, that sounds pretty good to me. I actually don't know where I put my, I don't need it right now, but I don't know where I put my water. I went and got a water and suddenly that made me think of it. So, but, but what I'm thinking of is, wouldn't that be neat, like to, to drink something and think, I'm never going to be thirsty again. It's almost like I just have a, a continual access to what I need. Because I don't know about you, but like it's not real convenient how often we get hungry and thirsty, right? Especially as we celebrated Thanksgiving last week. Like, you know, it kind of feels like the whole thing revolves around hunger and thirst and versions of both of those things. Well, what I want to draw out for us this morning is that one of the things that Jesus does is that Jesus comes as living water and if you're in this place, you can identify Jesus comes as living water that saturates the dry ground of your thirsty heart. Jesus comes as living water that saturates the dry ground of your thirsty heart. Some of you have maybe heard this story, but one of Arthur's uh, nicknames is the camel. Because Arthur loves to go long periods of time and not drink anything. And then suddenly, everybody who has a glass of water, it will be gone. Because he will fill up. He will drink all of his and ask for yours and maybe go get a refill. And, you know, in the same way that, that a camel would, you know, because they will store up water and then they can go long times without. But I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that picture of, of uh, the ground or the soil in the desert. After months and months and months of just hot dry sandy conditions uh and this and the soil begins to to crack and and one of the images that comes to my mind as i think about this if you can think of soil sort of in that condition it doesn't just take a sprinkling right like in order to to restore that soil to closer to what we have here the beautiful uh you know black central illinois farming soil that moisture content is much higher, but you can't go from cracked and dry to saturated with just a sprinkle. It actually takes a lot of water. It takes a lot of water, and it probably takes a lot of time. Because for something to become saturated, it has to be worked in. It has to have time to be absorbed and to begin to change the composition and, and reach the deep parts of those cracks and it just is a process. 
And this is one of the things that Jesus does is that he comes to us and when our hearts are like that dry, cracked soil, he comes and he begins to pour over us like living water, beginning the process. And I would say, I would, I would venture to say this is probably a lifelong process, right? Because we might think, well, you know, I got, I got saved when I was seven years old, and so, you know, I don't, I don't have that condition anymore. And as we said in another series, for us, life in the kingdom of God is more about movement than membership. And so I think it's probably not wise of us to think that because we got that taste of living water when we met Jesus, that we, we don't need more of it. Now, we probably need a lifelong, continual flow in order for that dry ground to become fully saturated. Christ also comes as the living water that quenches. Now, this might seem sort of simplistic or, or natural, but, and you know, this is the way often that the New Testament writers would write. We, it, there's like one idea, but we would, they would tell it in multiple different ways, so that, and different people would latch on to different ways. Christ is the living water that quenches. Again, we can all think, you know, midst of the summer, maybe you're working in the yard or you're uh, exercising or whatever your favorite uh, hot season summer activities are, and you begin to be thirsty. And, and again, it's like, I don't know, your drink of choice might be different, uh, whether it's just ice cold water or uh, a Gatorade or a Powerade or whatever it is, but but you are familiar with that feeling of being very thirsty, and it's like on a scientific level, you know, if you have uh, that level of thirst, you're already at the beginning stages of being dehydrated. I mean, it, it's not severe, you know. It's like you have to go a long ways to get to where that's a a medical issue, but feeling thirst is being like you don't have enough hydration. And we all know that feeling of uh, getting that drink and it like, what do we say? It hits the spot. It's just like, it's not just that the liquid comes into your body, but it's like, ah, it quenches the thirst. It, it not only satisfies like your biological need to have liquids in your body, but somehow it speaks to your soul. Because you've been so thirsty and it quenches that thirst. Jesus Christ comes to us and quenches the thirst that we have. We all have an innate desire living deep within us. I think that at the base of humanity, we want... Now, we know, even those of us in this room, to the worst people you could think of on the face of the earth, we don't always do right evil abounds. I don't have to like convince you of things that are going on in our world. But at the truest core of our identity, Jesus has designed us as people that when we meet him and we're renewed, we become, you know, no longer I who live, Christ lives within me. We have this desire towards righteousness, towards goodness, towards all the fruits of the spirit. And we don't know how to get there on our own, but we thirst for those things. Whether you're in touch with that or not, that is baked in. 
once you have seen and tasted of the goodness of Jesus, your uh, soul person, in your heart of hearts, you have a desire placed there by God to move towards good things. And Jesus comes as the living water to help quench that thirst. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he convicts us, he teaches us, he trains us, he uh, sets up divine appointments and circumstances, all for the purpose of helping us move towards quenching that thirst and stepping into his righteousness. You see, it's all his work. He quenches the thirst because he moves us towards what he has designed us to be. If you want to go with me to this Old Testament passage, we're going to look at a few verses in Isaiah 41. These will also be on the screen. Verses 7 through 20 in Isaiah 41 says, The poor and homeless are desperate for water. Again, painting this picture of thirst. Their tongues parched and no water to be found. Now let's just pause there. This could be used as an analogy for our spiritual condition, right? Prior to coming to Jesus, we were poor of spirit and without a real home. And we were desperate. And again, this is what happens with, well, again, I don't know your story. I don't know what your life looked like before Jesus, but I'll just say people will do all kinds of desperate things to find a home and satisfaction for their soul when they've not yet met Jesus. But Jesus would say, I'm there to be found. I'm there for them. And I, God of Israel, will not leave them thirsty. I'll open up rivers for them on the barren hills, spout fountains in the valleys. I'll turn the baked clay badlands into a cool pond, the waterless waste into splashing creeks. I'll plant the red cedar in that treeless wasteland, and also acacia and myrtle and olive. I'll place the cypress in the desert with plenty of oaks and pines. Now, you, you get the, the uh, paradox there, right? He's describing planting these trees in places they don't belong. They, they, that environment is not created for these things. He goes on to say, everyone will see this. No one can miss it. Unavoidable indisputable evidence that I, God, personally did this. It's created and signed by the Holy of Israel. You know, one of the prayers that I prayed in my younger years, routinely, and we know there's like, there sometimes can be danger. You know the saying, I be careful what you wish for? Be careful what you pray for, because he might answer. One of the things that I prayed for in my life and i'm this has not been like fully realized but i have seen instances of it i began to pray regularly god whatever it is you have for me in this life would you do something that is so unmistakably beyond my abilities that only you could get the credit would you would you allow me to be used in such a way that what you do through my life, there's no opportunity for people to point at me, but they would say, 
oh, that must be God. The same way it's described here, unavoidable, indisputable evidence that God did this. And I still pray this. I want to be part of the things that God is doing in such a way that even as I add uh, myself to the equation, as I bring my skills and my talents and my time and my treasure, the result is beyond what I could produce on my own. That it's something only God could do. Now, if we imagine this spectrum that we talk about from time to time of receptivity to God, you know, from those of us that are uh, very intimately acquainted with God to those that are maybe tiptoeing on the edge of relationship with Jesus to those that are uh, completely hardened to the gospel. Uh, maybe even antagonistic. You know, the first mention of it comes up. Oh, nope, we're not going to talk about that. You know, I'm not, I'm not into that. And there's just there's like a very solid wall. But one of the other things that Christ does in his coming is that he comes as the living water that softens. And this is why, again, we describe our role as seed planting and watering. Because we're not responsible for when that thing grows. Jesus knows way better than we do, for any person that you might encounter, how much washing of water they need before that dry ground begins to soften enough that Jesus can find a place. So we never need to look at someone and determine and judge in our own heart, nope, that one's too hard. That one will never come around. That one will never say yes to Jesus. Be faithful. Be obedient to continue planting seeds and watering. And in that, Christ will use you as the living water that will begin to soften that soil, begin to soften that heart. I was going back and reading uh, some things from some of our previous series uh, in organizing some of our files and stuff. And one of the things that I, I came across from our uh, series where we talked about being naturally supernatural, if you remember. It's like, don't judge the soil. This is I know we're using a different analogy. But it's like, our responsibility is to go wherever Jesus sends us and to allow him through us to bring forth that living water, to soften hearts. And one of the things that is a value for us here, being vineyard people, is being naturally supernatural. It means we don't have to be weird. Uh, we don't have to uh, manipulate people or hype things up. We can just be natural. And in doing that, in just being who you are uniquely made to be, you actually dramatically increase receptivity to God. Because they're not expecting you to sort of be a... You know, they're expecting maybe a lot of religious jargon or a holier-than-thou attitude. But when we come and encounter people and we're just us and we're talking with a non-judgmental attitude and we're just simply sharing, hey, this is my story. This is what Jesus did for me. It begins to, with this same process, soften hard ground, help it become receptive 
to what Jesus wants to do in that person's life. Christ's coming means that even for us, the hard ground within us can become soft again. And so this is an easy thing for any of us to experience is we've met Jesus, we've had that experience, we have an ongoing relationship, but you know, over time, life just beats us down. And that, that soil of our heart can begin to get hard again. We feel a little less in touch with the compassion that maybe we felt at an earlier time in our journey. And this is all wrapped up in the coming of Jesus he comes and says, not only for those that I'm drawing to myself that haven't met me, but for those of you walking out this journey and being battered by life, when your heart ground begins to be a little hard, I can come and help it be soft again. All right, one more before we begin to wrap this up. Christ is also the living water that surprises now, we're going back to the questions. Some of you hate surprises, and that's okay. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, turn all the lights off and everybody jumps out and scares you, a happy birthday kind of. No, that's not the kind of surprise that we're talking about. What we're talking about is it's easy to feel, I don't deserve this. You know, I, I don't know. This is just my cross to bear, that this is how life is going to be, whether it's dealing with a, a, a chronic illness or financial hardship or patterns of difficult family relationships. Again, the, the relentless relentlessness of life can easily convince us that how things are is how things will always be. And yet, Jesus comes as living water, that sometimes when you least expect it, trickles in and surprises you with a blessing, with an experience of Jesus' love in the place that you least expect it. I've talked to you about this a little bit before, uh, but in just transparency and vulnerability, uh, earlier in my ministry journey, one of my faults was that I would do what I would describe now as fighting for a place. And so in the context of a, of a team or a community, we've really not been a part of that many. I would find myself, uh, because of the things that maybe I was good at or that I was interested in or I saw, you know, hey, we could do that better, I would begin to try to work my way into, well, I need to be in that seat in order to affect that change. And one of the hard lessons that I've learned over my journey without telling all of those stories is that whenever you fight to get into a certain place, you will have to keep fighting to stay there. But when in humility and vulnerability you will allow Jesus to put you where he wants you, he will keep you there. The same could be said of the church, and I may have shared this with you before, but the Lord told me very clearly, and, and it was a surprise at the time, when we were dreaming and praying about one of our first church plants, I felt like the Lord came and said this so clearly, if you build it, 
you will have to sustain it. So in other words, if you go in and come up with a good marketing scheme and that's how you draw people in, you will have to keep outdoing yourself in order to sustain it. You know, so if you have this philosophy that, you know, well, this week is going to be the, the best thing since we've launched, then next week has to be a little bit better. And that is an endless, tiring cycle that burns people out. But Jesus would say, if I build it, I will sustain it. And so my job becomes just keeping my eyes on him. Jesus, Father, what are you doing? What are you saying? How can I partner with you? It comes as a much better result. But I would say if we could think back even to the story of Jesus coming and, and all the events that transpired, you know, in the, sort of in the church calendar from now until Easter when we celebrate his crucifixion and the work that was accomplished at the cross. Everything about that journey had surprises wrapped up in it. The disciples thought Jesus has come and he's going to, you know, take over politically and set up a kingdom here on the earth. And it's like, nope, that's not, that's not what I'm doing. Jesus actually says, my kingdom is, is different. It actually endures forever. But, you know, what my point is, is that we, as flawed humans, and the disciples were included in that category, we often miss it. But Jesus, in his goodness, as the living water who knows better than we know what we need, often comes and surprises us. Often comes when we least expect, when we feel like we have completely let God down. We've messed up so bad. How He comes and he loves us in a way that might be surprising. He sends someone to show love in a way that might be surprising. Jesus, as the living water, is full of surprises. And I don't know, for you this morning, this might feel like a little bit of an unusual Advent message. But I don't know if Jesus might have some surprises for you. As you've come and as you've begun to think about this and even coming out of the, the Thanksgiving and moving into the holiday Christmas season, what are your expectations? Not, not just how do you think things are going to go and are you going to be able to avoid the relatives that you don't care about talking to. No, we're not talking about that. What are you expecting Jesus to do in this season? in your life over the next five weeks as we ramp up to Christmas. Can you expect the unexpected? Could we just open ourselves up a little bit and just say, you know, Jesus, it would be great if you showed us your love in some surprising ways this Christmas season. Father, in Jesus' name, we just welcome you. We thank you. Jesus, help us to have an experience of you that is deeply personal, relational, and maybe even surprising. We honor you, Jesus. Amen.